0: This SBL shoot around, we take a look at everything from the men's competition with a man who's created a remarkable coaching legacy after a 200 game playing career. Ben Ettridge joins Chris Bright to bring you another men's SBL shoot around. Hello and welcome to another episode of Men's shoot Shootaround. We're building some momentum here. We've had three what we think have been really good shows so far. We've got some good feedback, got some good listener numbers. People seem to be enjoying what we're doing. So we hope to just continue on with that with that path. And we've gone to another very special guest as well to keep, keep all of that going. CJ Jackson is a man that has done everything in 30 years since coming to Western Australia from California. And we'll have a chat about his journey in, in WA later. Later in this show and that's sure to be fascinating but plenty more to speak about as well because there's a lot more happening we've got what looks like being called the west coast classic to talk about we'll just dissect how the rest of the teams were looking coming into the sbl season and how they might be looking for that new look competition we've got our our best one hit aussie players to come play in the sbl to talk about we've got a new competition of a tournament of sbl champions that we want to announce which we'll talk more about later in the show i'm almost getting dizzy thinking about how much we've got to talk about so i'm chris pike your co-host let's get straight into it ben etridge my fellow co-host and the man that you are all here to, to hear from how do i find you this evening
1: yeah very well thanks chris it's um yeah week 4 um, looking forward to getting through our talking points tonight and having a good chat to cj um, and then, yeah, announcing the uh, the little tournament that um, we've come up with that hopefully gets uh, get a bit of fan involvement and, and a bit of discussion.
0: Absolutely. Before we do get started, I was really happy with how last week's show came together. Mark Utley, and Seb Salinas were terrific guests, and they provided us with plenty plenty to dissect. When you reflect back on the chats we had with them, and plus the news that we we heard about the West Coast Classic and everything else that happened last week, what did you what did you reflect on with last week's show?
1: Oh, well, first of all, I was just um, still haven't had the text message back from Mark um, <laughs> regarding the uh, this seat next to him for for the mm. Suns, and I think the highlight for me was um, a viewer or a, a listener got got in touch, and he's uh, I, I do refer to Mark as the uh, SBL personality of the year, but he's uh, dubbed him Mark the analogy Utley, given mm. uh, I think he dropped about seven seven different analogies in the uh, in the interview last week so looking forward to um using that a fair bit and um yeah still waiting for that text message
0: well if you want if you want to have the best coaching mind not currently employed then i think he probably should should look to respond to that message but that's that's up to mark to see who he wants sitting alongside him for the, the west coast classic I, I guess out there at kalamunda but it's nice to know that you're available i wonder if someone else might jump in first
1: uh, look, the uh, the phone's not exactly ringing hot at the moment, but um, yeah, look, as I said before, always we'll we'll uh, look at any opportunity, and um, we would would love to be back involved in some capacity.
0: Now, speaking of Mark, he brought up a list that he wanted us to discuss last week when he talked about um, the 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 top five players that had come out to play in the SBL as Australians. But before. We got to that. Let's, let's go back to our top five players that you would pay to go and watch from the 1990s. Your top five were James Fitch, Jeff Anderson, Chris Sandel, Alan Erickson, and Mike Forsyth, as you discussed on last week's show. Um, did any any other names get mentioned in, in the, the week that we've, we've had following that, that caught your attention?
1: Yeah, look, um, you know, the legend Doug Gates got in contact with me and he, he discussed uh, a few guys uh, from the sort of the early 90s, Mark McCatherian and Dupreece Owens at um, Swan City Mustangs, uh, Cal Bruton Sr. when he played in the league, um, mm-hmm. James Jackson and Roland Brooke um, from their time at the Swan City Mustangs and um, former Coburn captain and championship player uh, Michael Farrell Contacted mm. me from Shanghai, where he's he's based up at a uh, international school there, and he he made mention of a player named Patrick Langwa who went to um, Charminard University, played for the Senators and then the Mustangs. About six foot seven, super athletic, just good dunk, left and right handed. I, I wouldn't say he was a an outside shooter, but he was probably. Um, as as good of an athlete that's ever played in the SBL and just an excitement machine. Again, he led Sterling to to a grand final pretty much off his own hand, and then the next year went to to Mustangs, I think, and um, might have won a championship with them there. So very very tough player, very um, very skilled, and and um, yeah, one of those ones that you wouldn't mind driving sort of forty five minutes on a, a cold rainy night to, to watch play.
0: I don't think people realise just just the superstars that we've had play in the SBL over the years, and you mentioned one before, Cal Bruden. I mean, he's an absolute basketball legend. He played in the SBL, and so did his son CJ. He played in a championship at the Perry Lakes Hawks when he was when he was nineteen. The fact that both of those guys not only built helped to build build their legacies in Perth at the Wildcats, but they also had a really big impact in the SBL too.
1: Yeah, and then um, Elliot Bruton as well uh, played, played a long time in the SBL, and, and and Austin, and Austin who, Bruton and only the game, has, just, just playing, just retired. So just yeah, um, yeah super long legacy and a, and, a, and a name that's probably forgotten a little bit in, uh, in the basketball history of WA.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. I mean, the fact that, that Austin was still playing as of, I think last season was his first season, not playing at the, at the Warwick Senators he'd played under Mike Ellis and finished out his career, he was still a hell of a dangerous player. You, you would have known coaching against him, you couldn't leave him leave him open.
1: Yeah, uh, I think you know we talk about who invented the step back. I think Austin's step back three pointer was was deadly, and I remember yeah. a few of them when he was at Lakeside, uh, run the point down there. It was a couple of games against us that he um, he drilled a few, and it was a real tough matchup. It had had the handles and and, and great passer as well.
0: Now, the other discussion now, let's move on to the top one-off pl- Australian players that came to play in the SBL. So we're not talking about guys that were with the Perth Wildcats that happened to play in the SBL while they were here, but these are Australian recruits that came over to play from, from the Eastern States to play in the SBL. Let's start with your list. Um, who, who stands out to you from that list that Mark Utley gave us last week?
1: Well, I, I think I snuck a couple of ex-Wildcats or Wildcats mm-hmm. in there, so... Um, well, my first one was Roger Smith who mm-hmm. came over and played for the Flames. Um, I think he'd come from Brisbane at that point or somewhere to play with, with a mate of his that was playing over here and big, strong, you know, played the point, probably could have played any position in the SBL and just uh, sort of showed everyone what that difference in, in level was between the NBL and, and the SBL. Super athletic and uh, wasn't really a big time player in the NBL but just dominated mm-hmm. the game um, at, when he played at, at this level. I had Matt Shanahan in there, who I know yeah. was here for the cat at that time, but you know, oh, just right. again an, another really solid uh, NBL player. That when yeah. he dropped back to the SBL was, was really really tough. Um, I had the the inaugural uh, Lakeside pairing of Mark Nash and, and David Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, those two were just quality again NBL fringe players. Nash might have been. Um, Playing a little bit more than than David was, but yeah. um, just just guys that could really get it done at this level, and I think they led Lakeside to a to a grand final appearance. And um, look, we'll count him as an Aussie because he was here for long <laughs> enough. But the the season that James Crawford played at uh, at Coburn again, you know, he'd been a few years out of the NBL, but could still get it done, and uh, was just you know was JC not perhaps with the the same amount of athleticism, but um, was just a crafty. I think it was. He was looking at coming back to play for Canberra, and he just yep. needed to get some run on his legs, so he, he ran around. So I think if you were to put those five up you know, in, against a, an NBL team or any SBL team, um, you'd probably uh, have, a, have a decent five there.
0: Oh, absolutely. Tell me more about JC playing at, at Coburn. It must have been a hell of a buzz at any building that he played in, even if he was a little bit past his prime.
1: Yeah, and look, I think that, uh, the Alabama Slammer, uh, we all grew up with that, the, the black and gold catch uniforms and JC running the wing and, um, getting a, getting a pass and just sending it down on someone's head. So I think, um, you know, the, the memories you have are not so much of that in the SBL, but just a, a guy that was just, you know, had all the tricks in the book and still had that surprising athleticism, caught a couple of people on a few dunks and, and blocked a few shots. And if I remember right, I think Coburn got to the semis that year with, with, with him and, uh, probably the, the things went, fell their way a little bit better he could have seen uh, jc with an sbl championship as well
0: was was he or sean Redditch the the best and biggest name former wildcat to then come back to play in the sbl after their nbl careers
1: oh that's a really good question um look sean's body of work in the nbl was just huge um championship winner was he mvp of the league
0: no but six time wildcats mvp
1: Six time Wildcats MVP. So, look, uh, oh, that's a tough one. Uh, mm. Maybe we open it it's up not to, even the, the uh, to the listeners. Yeah, like uh, I, I just look at the impact they've had. Maybe Sean, um, given that he's played a bit longer, um, got an SBL championship and is sort of, you know, poised to maybe make a run at another one. You know, that's probably um, where it might, might give him the edge, games played sort of thing. So, but yeah, definitely uh, both, both two of the biggest names to, to play in the SBL.
0: Yeah, and the fact that we can even talk about those two guys playing in the SBL is another reason why. I think it's such an underrated league. I mean, those are two of the greatest NBL players of all time and they've given great service back to the SBL too. Um, now, other players that have got some mentions are through our social media. Obviously, Mark Utley's given, given some of his. Some interesting names here. Um, Todd Matthews the Albany from the Albany Raiders. Obviously, Dave Humphreys as recently as last season at the Goldfields Giants. Steve Levin at the East Perth Eagles. Very interesting name given how things turned out for him at the Perth Wildcat. Jane Hughes at the Sterling Senators. Bill Ward at the Swan City Mustangs, and then current Fremantle Dockers AFL player, Rory Lobb from the Kalamunda Eastern Suns as well.
1: Yeah, I think Mark's just trying to get a shout-out there for Kalamunda. Um, <laughs> I don't, uh, I'm not quite sure. I haven't looked up Rory's, Rory's stats in the SBL, but, um, yeah, yeah, look, a few names I, on I there that were... his
0: sister, Emma, probably had a bigger impact.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so definitely some some quality players on that list. Didn't see Bill Ward play at the at the Mustangs, but do remember Todd Matthews, uh, very solid point guard. Steve Levin, I don't I don't remember his tenure. I'm not sure why. Um, but yeah, look, yeah, definitely some some, Coast, some reckon, good players.
0: 2006, 2007, somewhere around there.
1: Okay. Okay, I was in Italy that that time, yep. so I didn't didn't see a lot of the cats or the SBL at that stage. Yep. So Troy why he slipped my mind. Yeah.
0: Now Ryan Beno has also mentioned a couple of names: Todd Matthews and DJ McGlynn
1: yeah, well, DJ McGlynn um, played, uh, went up to the Bucks after his stint in um, at the Raiders. So, uh, But, yeah, very good player and a good shooter, a bit of a slasher to the basket and a bit of a you know, typical fiery redhead, I guess. And, um, yeah, had a big impact across two teams. So, yeah, definitely, uh, I think he's from Queensland originally. Yep. So uh, to make the journey across and, and contribute to the league was um, was a big impact.
0: One interesting name in more recent years I wanted to mention not so much because he had a huge impact, but just the fact that we had an NBL captain come and play almost a whole season, fly in, fly out at the Rockingham Flames a couple of years ago. Kevin White, he was captain of the of the Illawarra Hawks at that time, and the Rockingham Flames were, you know, they lost an import and they were looking to replace him, and yeah, he ended up flying in and out for most of that season. They they fell just short in the semi-finals against Perry Lakes, who went on to win the championship that that year. But it was it was fascinating to see that a club was willing to invest in in Kevin, and also that Kev was, you know, obviously thought enough of the. To be able to be willing to choose that over playing in, in in the Siebel or the Waratah League where he had been playing.
1: Yeah, look, Kev, I was fortunate enough to, everybody doesn't remember with me, but um sitting at a table and, and having a chat with Kevin um, and a few other people. And what struck me was just the, when he spoke to you, just the way he looked at you, you knew he was engaged in the conversation. Absolutely. And yep. You can see why um, people you know, rate him so highly as a leader. And I think when we saw a bit of a fallout from the Adelaide um, 36s and he was probably one of the guys that, that stepped up and, yeah you know, he took the side of his teammates a little bit more you can see why he's so well respected not a, an overtly uh, loud person spoke very softly uh, but yeah when when you spoke to him he he made that eye contact and and when he was talking, you sort of you make sure you tuned in because what he was saying was was worth listening to. So quality human being and um, yeah, well worth the investment by by Rockingham at, at that stage. Uh, I think uh, if you like to have him for the whole season, maybe you know, mm. things go a little bit differently. So yeah, but yeah, didn't didn't even um, think to, to pencil him in.
0: No, yeah, he's just someone that I've just always had an enormous amount of time for from when I first met him in his early years at Illawarra after he would just come across from Sydney and then um that year that he spent here in Rockingham I spent a lot of time with him and and even over these past 12 months while I was doing some work with the Sixers, and you know he was he was my main contact there we he, we started up a column together and and there were just times where things were going tough for him and we'd end up stuck on the phone for hours with him just 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 venting at me and just getting some things off his chest so I kind of knew what was coming at the end of the season with that fallout and didn't surprise me all that, all that much that he was willing to stand up for his teammates. So, yeah, I just thought his name was worth a mention. But as we wrap up this first segment here on SBR Round, before we get to CJ Jackson, Ben, the question without notice for this week. Now, this Excuse one, me. yeah, hopefully you know where I'm going with it. Now, in recent weeks, have you been at all sought after by anybody or has anyone tried to recruit you to join New West Australia down in York?
1: uh uh, good question and look um unfortunate events um i think uh you know in all seriousness not the not what you want to see from anyone or any people um you know in this time of social media and all that sort of stuff and um yeah look um not not great um but yeah look no i haven't um Mm. And, uh, yeah, look, wish wish all those people that were involved in that all the best as far as uh, hope they're safe and hope they're um, yeah, you know, getting getting the help maybe that they might need. But, yeah, um, definitely a tough situation to, to find yourself in when one um, of your former players is, is splashed across the news and, and social media like that.
0: Yeah, I thought it was tough to watch too because from I never got to meet him when he was playing for you at the Wolves, but I spoke to you about him a lot and he was a... He, was a, he seemed like a really great guy, but he was going through a lot of tough times with a marriage and different things at that time. And obviously things have got tougher for him since then. He'd come back out here and he had been planning on playing with Mark Worthington and the Southwest Slammers. Obviously things didn't work out there. And to me, it looks like those people, like you said, hopefully they get the help they need. Hopefully this is the thing that maybe, maybe was the where they hit rock bottom and hopefully they come out of it in a better place and we wish them, wish them all the best.
1: Yeah, and look... Um... Yeah, look, he's uh, hopefully the people are around him now that can can help. Um, but yeah, wish them wish them all the best, and um, yeah, won't be joining the new Australia anytime soon.
0: <laughs> Good to hear. Now, on a more <laughs> on a better note, let's move on to CJ Jackson. Before we before we speak to him after after this wrapping up this first segment, has anybody had a bigger impact on the SBL over thirty years?
1: He definitely is a uh, a huge personality. Um, you think about when he came into the league in 1990, and to still be involved now in, in 2020. It's uh, and and across so many different platforms: player, like coach, administrator, father. Um, you know, he's there now, coaching. You know, the the sons of the guys he played with when he first yeah. came out. So um, his, his reach is far and wide and um, his impact is huge. And, yeah, really looking forward to, to catching up with him, um, given that we spent a lot of time sitting side by side in a car driving down to Mandurah in the good old days. So some of them were very quiet car rides and some of them were very, very loud and, and talkative ones. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to catching up with him.
0: All right, let's get straight to it. Okay, back here on SBL Shoot Around and and Ben, I know that you're really looking forward to this interview and, and so am I because he's one of the people who who has been involved in the SBL for a long time that I've now known for a long time as well. More than more than a more than a decade I've been bumping into CJ at, at Bendat Basketball Center and and beyond and it's been a pleasure every single time. So to welcome him onto our show here at SBL Shoot Around is a great pleasure. CJ, how do we find you this evening?
2: Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks for a welcome, a good welcome, and I appreciate you having me on.
0: Now, I've sat down and spoken to you about your basketball journey here since coming to WA 30 years ago a couple of times, and it's it's been a fascinating chat every time, so we'll go through some of it again in, in this interview, but... Just, just to sum it up, when you think about what you were expecting 30 years ago when you came to Australia to play at the Perth Redbacks and you joined a remarkable team that went on to win the championship and to think the life that you've built here in Perth and the basketball legacy that you've built as a player, as a player coach, as a coach, and as a, as a trainer of, of young players and everything else that you've done, it's pretty remarkable. Do you still shake your head at everything that you've done over the last 30 years?
2: Yeah, it's been a remarkable journey for me. And I had no idea how big it would get. I had the idea that I was going to be in Australia permanently when I first left. But I had no idea to the magnitude it was going to be at when I had finished. And I'm still going, so I'm still going. So I appreciate it and uh, the opportunities that have been
1: presented to me. But I I think I still got a lot more to give. So CJ, um, start with the journey, and I, I want to take it back to before that that nineteen ninety um, plane trip that you took out here. So, so let's start in high school, uh, Mobile High. Can imagine a a young seventeen year old CJ Jackson strutting stuff out there. What what was that team like? And importantly for me, is you know what position were you playing in high school before everything sort of you know eventuated. It's kind of a
2: long story how we got to that. What I can tell you is Moreno Valley was formerly called Sunny Me and there was only about 20,000 in the suburb. I'm from a suburb which is on an Air Force base. Our, our, we were surrounded to the airport, next to the Air Force base, so a lot of our, my friends and high school teammates, their father's. We're in the air force so we used to go up to the air force base and play against grown men and that really shaped us as basketball players because i used to actually go with reggie miller cheryl miller we used to go up there and we just get our butts kicked so that really forged who we are as far as with high school so moreno valley was a small school and we put it on the map because we we're such a small school, but we beat bigger powerhouse schools. And but to answer your question about what position I play, I play point guard most of my life.
1: Okay. Yeah, and I mean just to to jump back a little bit, who who talked more trash, Reggie, Cheryl, or you? Me. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Me. Reggie was just a young
2: puppy then. He was just a young puppy, but he learned how to talk trash because we would be, get it handed to us by a lot of those air force guys so in the air force what i mean by that is there's a lot of guys who can come out of college that might be playing college basketball that they might have went to uc riverside or some california school around the area they go into the air force and when they come out they come out as a first lieutenant so as they come out you know they still can play at a high level but they just chose the air force life so we play against guys Like that, and those guys could play, so it kind of really shaped who we are. Like I said, because we had to play against tough players.
1: Yeah, and I guess the next the next step was, and a lot of people probably don't know that you know it wasn't straight from high school to a four year school for you; it was to a junior college. So that route, going that route, what was that
2: like? I think it was pretty good for me. I went to a school called Shafter Junior College. It was up in Northern California, and we had already won. So in high school, we had a, I had a pretty good record. I think we only lost like around eight, nine games altogether in my four years. So we won, that, that winning mentality was in me going into junior college. So our, my first year in junior college, we went in all the way to the grand final of the, the northern part of junior college. And I said against a lot of talent there. And we lost in the grand final. And then we came back to my sophomore year and won in the grand final. So it was a pretty good journey up, up to South Virginia College. And I actually went with one guy who was from Riverside as well that I used to compete against in high school. So it made the journey up there a lot more easier.
1: Yeah. And then, so from there, where, where was it to from there?
2: To Bakersfield. So I went to Cal State Bakersfield. And I think that's where I kind of watched a lot of You know, for players that are out there, you can lose a lot of confidence if you don't have a coach who installs that confidence or builds that confidence in you and kind of tears it down. So I know there's some players out there who probably can identify with this, but I think the coach kind of can make you or break you. And Mm -hmm. that there was a little bit tougher there for me than in junior
1: college and in high school. I really Mm -hmm. think I struggled from there. And so still, I guess if you're saying you're playing point guard and and the coaches you know you haven't got the confidence or you don't have confidence in the coach or vice versa that that must have been a real a real struggle. Yeah, it was a struggle because now, when I went to junior college I,
2: and to be honest, I played for the same coach, but he was just his game plan had changed from one junior college into the four year college and you know, we had, we had different talent levels there and a lot of guys probably didn't fit in with, with that system. So it, it, the system now was kind of breaking down and it was, he tried to build a different system. So it just didn't, just didn't suit me. It just
1: did not okay. suit me. So I lost a lot of confidence there, but I gained it back after we, after I shit. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it, to hear to hear you talk about that, you you struggle with your confidence. That's I've I've never heard you tell that story. And to me, you were always the one that was full of confidence. You were the one that, as you said, picked pick people up. And you know, I guess maybe that's where that part of you as a coach that you had to to put that confidence in in everyone uh, around you. Maybe that's that experience is what what gave that to you. Yeah,
2: I think it did. So I just didn't want players to go through what i went through and during that time so i thought i thought it was a rough couple couple seasons uh but i felt after that when i got out of that and you know went back to moreno valley to you know get your mojo on as they say right get your mojo on and go back to the air force base and get that back in that's what helped me to build that confidence and get back to who who i was and uh that's why i was happy to get
1: back to moreno valley and so when did the uh i guess in the day they posted it to you or faxed it to you when did the the ticket arrive to say that you were coming to Perth what? western australia
2: yeah well i called it everything but perth i was calling it packed i didn't know who what perth was i'm like perth what the heck is perth okay so it's a yeah it's the last place on earth uh so yeah so i was like okay uh i, I played when i went back and played in Marino Valley, I played in this local comp. So there's a lot of my friends I played with, and we played against this guy who had been here for, he had been here for like 10 years, and he, and he talked to me about Perth. He said, you should play basketball in Australia. Now, back in that day, really because of no social media or anything, all you know about is the NBA right? You don't know about basketball in Australia. Basketball in Australia. I said, you got to be kidding. And I was like, what, what the kangaroos and koala bears and stuff? No, 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 no. <laughs> Man, cities out here. get it right. Get it right. So he talked to me about it. And then he came back and he played for Tom Meyer and the, uh, the NBL. And he said, I'll find you a spot. So he called me up like a month after he'd been there, been back here and playing in Hobart for the Tassie Devils, and he said that it, here's a team that wants you in Perth called the Redbacks. So he talked to me about the Redbacks. And then the, everything started coming into fruition really quick. And within, within three weeks, that's when we had faxes then, brother. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so that's when the contract was faxed to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. And like, so what did you know? So you said you didn't know much about Perth or Australia or basketball. But when you arrive in, in Perth, WA, and you go to the first practice, the question that we have to ask is, was Luke Longley and Andrew Vlahoff at practice, and, and did you quite know who they were? No. I did not know who
2: Luke or An- or Andrew were. I knew who Andrew was basically because in California, the Pac-10, as it was back then, came on. TV, so I've seen him through Lichty and all some of his teammates that went into the NBA, but okay. he was like the fourth or fifth option on that team because there were some other players on that team that was good. I had no idea about Luke, so when they told me, I came before them. They came a little bit after me, and they said, well, you got, a, you got two guys on your teammate Luke Longley and Andrew Law." I am like, yeah, so <laughs> who are they? <laughs> and, <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and it ended up like, okay. It's a seven-footer on the team, and then there's a 6'8 guy on the team who doesn't take anything from anybody, and he plays uh-huh. with a lot of tenacity and and grunt. So I said, we got something here. We had a shooting, guard, a shooting guard. We had a point guard named Jimmy Tharp, a shooting guard, Craig Evans. I'm playing the three, last one, Luke and Andrew. So we were, naturally, we felt that we were invincible yeah. back
1: then. Yeah, and so... You know, that that title—they're—they're coming off a title, and you've gone for that back to back. So you know, how yeah. how was how did that momentum build? And as you said, you felt like you were gonna gonna run the league. Is that you know is that kind of you know? Well, I, had, I
2: came in not, I came in not knowing what
1: the heck to expect,
2: right? And then we started training. And I was like, okay, we got, a, we got a pretty formidable lineup here. We can do some things. But I didn't know about any of the other teams, all the clubs or anything like that back then. So it was, a, it was, a, it was something. And my, to be honest, my first game was not the best game I ever had. And I'll be honest with everybody. I went over everything. <laughs> <laughs> I could throw a pee in the ocean if I was on the yeah. boat out in the middle of the ocean. So... Yeah, I was surprised the club brought me back on, but then after a few games and during the world championships when the guys had to go away, you know, they had to take, take charge then. So
1: they knew then what we, we had then, and we just rolled on pretty good. And I guess, you know, hearing you talk about the way you, you came through high school and, and college and, and then to here, was that, you know, that that point guard role being the, the bigger guard? I mean, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, and, and, and big and strong. Like, the, the SBL probably had never seen a, a point guard of your dimensions and and with that skill and that vision, I mean the, the the memories I have of CJ are no look passes, behind the head passes, like on the break, like hitting people in the corners, like that. That's the sort of thing that I guess where your game maybe transcended where the SBR was at that point in time. Is that you know something that again you you brought with you, or when you got here and you saw you had Craig Evans, who's a, a Wildcats guard, and, and Blahoff and Longley, that was something that enabled you to do that. I believe my
2: Education came from my idol, who was Magic Johnson. So I'm watching him. I'm like, "Oh, I can do that. I can throw no look passes. I'm taller than all these guys. I can find these guys." So I was a pass first point guard, and you know that because I play with you. Yeah. So I was a pass first point guard. I come second or third down the food chain when it comes to that. So I, I naturally felt that. I can get that ball through there any kind of way I could. And uh, that was my that was my gift. I think that was yep. my gift.
0: Most definitely. Listen, listening to the type of player that you talked about being, and then I wanted to ask you about Magic Johnson because the exact type of point guard that you sounded like you were was the exact type of point guard Magic Johnson was. And obviously it's famous that you're a massive Lakers fan and obviously you idolized Magic Johnson. But it's one thing to idolize him. What's it then... What, how proud are you then that you were able to actually put together a basketball career where you were a remarkably similar player, obviously at a different level, but a very similar type of player to Magic Johnson?
2: Well, thank you for that compliment. Uh, I, I, I love that. I appreciate that. But I just feel that within me, I think I had that gift to just give to others first, reward the others first. And when you got guys who are willing to set screens for you or really to rebound and, and give it to you, knowing that you're going to give it back to them when it, and it's time to give it back to them. That is something that I watched him do, Magic Johnson do, most of my career, and I, I felt that I could do that. And I think I was doing some of the things he was doing way back in the day, too. So I think that was my little niche. I think that was my gift.
1: Most definitely. Do, do you remember what your, your career stats were? What, 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 your, what your averages were? In high school or what? In the SBO. Oh, let's go high school. High uh, school, uh, college, and then an SBO. You remember?
2: High school was only like 10 points a game, like 10, 10 assists a game and probably about eight, nine rebounds. Yeah. Uh, Juco was probably about the same. Uh, four year went way down confidence level, but then when I came to the SBO, I think I ended up averaging like 17 points, uh, I think 10 Assists
1: and ten rebounds per game. So we're talking. It's you pretty much when people say, "Oh, it's a, a season triple double" or "triple double in the game." Is this is a man that's his his lifetime is a triple double, and that's um, you know well, speaks volumes. Uh, as uh, as, have as have a have listen to saying. this
0: nineteen ninety two season. CJ, you were putting up twenty six point nine points a game, thirteen point seven rebounds, eight point five assists, and shooting the ball you know at fifty percent from the field. What do you remember okay, that nineteen ninety two so- season? Okay, th- this is
2: where probably one of my best seasons, and I'll mm-hmm. say the reason behind because at during that time, you know how you have development players for the Wildcats. Well, I was selected as a train on for the Wildcats, so I would play with all the greats: Ricky Grace, James Crawford, you know Scott Fisher, all these greats of the game. Mike Ellis, all these greats of the game I played against almost every day because we trained every day, mm-hmm. except for when it might have had a Wednesday off or when the team traveled, then I wouldn't travel with the team. So we trained every day. So in the morning time, we trained, and we come back in the afternoon and train. So for the guys who think they don't, they don't, a lot of training, we train twice per day. Mm-hmm. So in between that time, Ricky Grace and I would go work out and play, shoot, and then spar, play one-on-one. And that is where he had one of his best seasons and I had one of my best seasons because if you go against all those guys, well, when you come back to the SBL, no disrespect to the SBL, there were some great players, but your confidence is just skyrocketing mm-hmm. because you're used to shooting every day. You're used to handling the ball every day. You're used to going one-on-one, and I'm going against Ricky Grace, a great one. And then in practice, I'm training playing against Wallhoff, James Crawford, Dot Fisher, all these Pete Hansen, and all these guys that I trained against, I was able to guard one, two, three, four, five and still and still go. And so yeah. uh, I just felt I just felt invincible back then.
0: Now also mm-hmm. in that in that nineteen ninety two season, we spoke to James Fitch a couple of weeks ago. He scored sixty one points twice against East Perth that season. How many of those were you guarding him?
2: No, no, no. I came halfway through the season. Uh, no, 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 no. Fitch, you get this right. I came halfway through. season. he might have hit it up during, during the, maybe that second time, but not that yep. first time, right? Okay. But he, I mean, Fitch is one, to me, is one of the greats of, of the competition, and uh, he had a great career.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you're right. You did only play 16 games. So the first 61-point game that he had, you he might have he, he missed him.
2: Yeah, I missed that.
1: I okay. missed that. Well, I'm still getting uh, my very, numbers though. I'm still getting my numbers. I'm very interested in the answer to that question. I, yeah, I yeah. remember a few breaks at halftime for me to start playing defense. So, uh, I'm really, <laughs> very interested for uh, for the answer to that question. If you're not there, you're yeah. not there. So, fair enough. So, well, yeah. that sort of takes me to my next part of you know the the question or the next uh, the conversation. The time down in Mandra. you know, the, probably when you looked at it, it was uh, again Mandurah. Um, that 45-minute to an hour drive before well, the freeway was. Was there um, through the, the back way, through, through uh, the back of Wandi, down through Quinana, and all that sort of stuff. Like the journey from an O for 26 season to making the playoff and the coach of the year in 1999. Like, what was that like? Mandra used to be
2: a force in the league when the, those early parts. So they would get a couple thousand to the games. at had Bleacher all the way up to the roof. They would go. Yeah. Vince Kelly was part of that. Carl Garner was part of that. And they had a team. They had one of the guys. Before we had the rebounder that we have today, there was a rebounder way back then. I was getting 15, 20 rebounds a game then. But most of those guys were FIFO. So they, would, they left. So they left us. Bone drive with players, so we had to pick up what would be under 18 players who should be playing under, under 18's team, not playing SBL. Yeah. And so it made that tough. Now, I know what you're saying about that drive. That drive mm-hmm. for anybody would take off two or three years of your playing career because it was like you had to travel and go stoplight to stoplight and then go out and come back in to manager. In today's game, you just drive straight to manager, you're straight there. I went there yeah. a few weeks ago. It was just right there. Now, if I played, if the league, was, if the freeways were there like that during that time, probably could have played on. But because yeah. of the travel and everything, it just just took a lot, took a lot out of you. But for us to go, and Ben, you were part of this. For us to go from what was one in twenty twenty five, yeah, to going into the playoffs, spoke about how much the players had developed over that time. And I think that that was probably the biggest prize for me, not really the coach of the year, but also more so the players had gotten to a point where they weren't going to take any more from the, all the other teams. We were going to hit them back in the mouth, if they hit us in the mouth. So we, I think that helped. I helped with building up those guys. and We had a great, great group, and I think that's yeah. why we, we got to where we were because we had trust okay. in one another.
1: Most definitely. I think, you know, just, just talk to us about that. One of those uh, 15-year-old kids, which he was when he started there in, in Josh Lee. I think he led the league in, in block shots uh, his first season. Like, what did you see in him as a as a 15-year-old? And then to the player he developed into and, you know, again, just that formidable, almost before his time, he actually thought he was a point guard as well when he was more of a stretch four, maybe a
2: stretch yeah, five. Yeah, so. stretch four wears grand hill gear on <laughs> and he's a big grand hill fan i'll I use to remember that it was probably he was just long he, he could just do a, he can just do some things now you know he's a school teacher out in the area now and good on him for what he's done but he actually helps mandra and us be a pretty good side because he is a shot blocker but he wasn't that tall for a shot blocker he just knew how to get up there and do his thing and get some blocks and get his on the, on the road so it it was good to have him and to see those guys develop and what he developed into i don't know I'm not sure how many games he ended up playing, but he did have a long stretch career as well for the for magic
1: yeah, and I guess I guess you know probably the the catalyst that yeah, and took a bit of pressure off you, but, and moved you to that position where you could be the facilitator, uh, was, was Anthony Stewart. So, you know, what, yeah. what are your memories of, of playing with Stewie? Um, other than his, his, his giant head. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what, yeah, what, are, yeah. what are the memories of, of Stewie? Um, yeah, just a laugh guys? a minute, a laugh a minute.
2: Well, it was actually you and, and Stewie. I think you guys took a lot of pressure off me because one, you, you, Ben Kagar, the imports so that just took that and you took that responsibility on. Then we had a sh- then we had a shooting guard with Stewie who would get up and he could put up fifty, I think he had a couple of fifty point games. But now he's taking a lot of pressure off of us and now we can score a little bit more. We're a little bit more freer to score now. So I know you had a, f- a few games where you hit a couple high 25s, 30s as well, and it's guarded the, the tougher opponents. So we can help you out and we can be there to support you. So I think it was a combination of both you two in there that helped us become as
1: successful as we were. Yeah, no, I, I remember that, tan I, I, I think of it as, you know, I love basketball and I love playing. I used to love the, the rides down. I used to, you know, enjoy everything about it. But, you know, nothing, nothing makes it more fun than actually winning a few games. So that's right to, to get a few yep. wins under your belt, to to get a bit of momentum, have a, a couple of win streaks throughout the season. And, again, we didn't get to the, the halcyon days of the, the 2,000 people in the stands. But, you know, I remember when we first started. And, look, I'll be honest, it was actually – a bit of an ego check when there was more women or more more people there to watch the the women's team play, and they'd all leave at the end of the women's game. <laughs> We'd be playing in front of twenty-five yeah, people because yeah, because that, yeah. that's how good the women's team was. So yeah, and the uh, twenty-five
2: people were the uh, were the workers, right? <laughs> <laughs> they still cleaning. Hey, a, they, a, they still cleaning, doing the locker room up and everything. Game over yet? Got the ball boy out there. He's cleaning up the balls. Is the game over yet? Yeah. So <laughs> I understand, and that was the staff that was working.
1: There, those twenty five, right, yeah, in front of yeah. the aquatic center, right? Yeah, that's it. So, uh, some, some good stories and good times, and I guess you know from there, the the journey then sort of went to becoming an administrator and um, moving you know, into. I don't think there's been anyone really that's gone from a player to the general manager of the, of the league. So, what was that like? Like, what was what were your plans, and did you did you what were the successes that you enjoyed? Do you think when you were in that role?
2: That was that was pretty much a learning curve for me, but I was, I'm was i proud to say I was the first import that went from import player to coach, coach to president of manager. Remember, I was president of manager too. Yeah. Yeah. Then going into CEO role or general manager role for Coburn, then going into uh, general manager, operation manager for the SBL. I thought that was the perfect role for me. Reason being, because I knew so many people in the basketball world, uh, wa that I thought that transition was going to be a little bit easier for me, and and I thought it was, and I got a, had a very good partnership, I think, with a lot of the clubs. So I would listen to what they had to say and and uh, try to action whatever I could. Remember, I was doing a wobble in the in the SBL yeah. as well. We had to move from what was the old Perry Lakes so, to to the bin now. Yeah. So it was, a lot, it was a lot of things that were going on during that time. I think one of the probably the biggest things that I can say that we did, one was put under 12 in a wobble competition. And I had great support from the wobble commission that helped put that, put that in because there was no wobble under 12. And we're like, well, we're, they're playing domestic comp. All the other states are doing it. Why aren't we doing it? So I went to the clubs, and we got that across. Now that while well, we're t- competition, it's got, what, four groups, four teams in each that division. That was one. And just being a part of the SBL and just administering it from there, I don't know if, if I did a great job, but I thought I did a dang good job to, to make it happen. Now, my goals for that league were... Probably a lot bigger than I think where it's at. But I think I did a pretty good job. Are
1: you Are you looking forward to the, the shift to the NBL 1?
2: If it goes that way, yes. Okay. Yes, I, I, I would think that would be a good change up for the league because I think our league has been probably, I don't know, maybe a little bit slower than I think it could be. So my, to be honest, my, I, I thought that, you know, by the time I started here in Australia and the fan participation that was there, I would have thought that that would be towards where maybe half of what the NBL is now, right? I, I thought there would yeah. be probably 5,000 at most stadiums by now. Right. I thought we probably maybe had a team in Carafa. I thought maybe we'd have a team backing out. I thought we maybe have a team or in Esperance or something like that. I thought that by now, I thought that we probably would have maybe 18, 19, 20 teams in a comp. That's what I foresaw. That's
1: what I foresaw. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, you know, those are the things that when, when the league is, uh, tucked away and maybe not getting the exposure that it needs or deserves. I mean, there's been some great imports come through, some, some great Australian players come through and some coaches that perhaps could have, could have made the jump to the, the next level as well. But when, you know, the rest of Australia or 80% of Australia don't know what's going on, um, uh, are kind of, you're not getting that exposure. You're not getting the sponsorship dollars and, and so on and so forth. So, Um, yeah, look, uh, it looks like we're on the upturn there now, though, with um, participation levels and all those sort of things. So hopefully that might not have happened in the last 10 years, but maybe it's something that we can look forward to in the next 10. Yeah, uh, and I hope
2: it really can grow to a a rate that it could grow to because you probably could uh, understand this, Ben. During our journey in the early stages, we have had players that have went into the NBA, from this league you know yeah. what i mean so yeah. if we've got players that are going into the nba surely that should be the, like wow what what is happening over there in wa why is this player went from sbl to the nba and one win six man of the year in the nba and why isn't that league bigger than it actually is because of the fact we had guys that went into the NBA or NBL. Now, I know it's a downturn in basketball, but surely by, within the next five to 10 years, I would hope that it'd be like a big, big boom for that.
0: We still could. I, I see no reason why Luke Travers couldn't be the next player to make that jump.
2: I agree. I think that is a talent. I think he's a talented player. And I think he, he does have the tools to make it at that level.
0: Hmm. Now, you probably weren't expecting to get back into coaching, but you did at the Perry Lakes Hawks for a, for a three-year stint coaching their women's team. And I know you didn't quite get the ultimate success there, but in your last season, you got to the semifinals. You lost in, in that third game to the Wolves up at the old Joondalup Basketball Stadium. But I think you did a lot of the work that then led to their championship the next season. And obviously, Docky, Docky did a great job to lead them to the championship. But did you enjoy that three-year stint at the, at the Hawks?
2: Yes, I did. I think the the club was actually fantastic to me, and I enjoy coaching the women's. And I would recommend that to any of the coaches to work to work in the women's and the men's program because I think for the development they need to understand what it is to coach a women women's team. So I take great pride in saying that I love play, coaching that Perry Lakes Hawks team, and I'm so proud of what Docky e did to, uh, did for the girls and leading them to the to the grand final. Being a player that was in the semifinal just the year before and taking them to the grand final, knowing what they needed to do to get to that next level. And I think from that, we've had some, there are some personal success stories with me and Sadie going to Pepperdine, you know, uh, Megan Megan Mackay going overseas now to to play overseas. I think there are some success stories from that, but the biggest success story was them winning the championship, which I think was fantastic.
0: Now, I was really, one of the things I was most excited about in 2020 was seeing you back coaching at the perth redbacks as well and i'd spoken to you about it and i know how excited you were i know how excited your son tevin was to be playing under you as well um how excited were you for this season and how disappointing was it when it got taken away from you and now again how much are you looking forward to at least getting some sort of a a season underway
2: well it was exciting to come back to to the team that took the chance on me yeah and i felt that there is something I need to repay them for for taking a chance on somebody from Moreno Valley that's come from way out of the, way out to 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 the land and contributed. But I've been with the Redbacks for a while, so for me to come back, it was like a great homecoming. Even here, where I'm talking to you from from Belmont, you know, I was like one of the first players on that Redbacks team to play in this in this venue here. So for me to come back was a great. It was a really happy to come back because I felt this was probably. The only club that I probably would be able to come back to and feel good about coming back to i I think the opportunity to coach not only Tevin but Wags and some of the other guys who were who are on the roster we 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 really put together a team that I thought was going to challenge really good and uh got taken away but You know, uh, we got a chance to get back on the court now. We're back at Belmont now. The guys are out there playing some pickup ball, and I think they're just enjoying enjoying just opportunity to get back and have some normality in life, and I think that's what it's all about.
0: You'd added some pretty exciting players, obviously. Caleb White coming over from Rockingham was one as an import, and I assume he hasn't hasn't stayed in the country. But I still think the team that you might be able to put together for this new competition when it starts up in July, if it ends up happening, you know, I think you'll still have BC, you'll have Tevin, um, you still have Joel Wagner, obviously. Um, I think you've added a couple of other guys like Dennis Dennis Tafferty, who we, we know from the Lake Ezra and Accora. Will all, all of those sort of guys still be still be around?
2: Yes, they are. And then just to correct you, Caleb White, is in town.
0: Oh, wow. Okay.
2: So he, he, he came on a visitor visa, and he, he's still here, and he actually trained with us on Tuesday. He's not here tonight, but he'll be back with us next week. We just got to organize his transportation, and he, he'll be on. We have Marshall Nelson is out here right now as well. Oh, wow. So he's, okay. uh, because he had not had a chance to get out and play where, where he's in, back east, he had to come back, Zach Gortona. As well as come back off a very good development year with the Adelaide 36ers. Yeah. So, we, 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 uh, hopefully we could get back Kyle Bowen as well. So, if we were to play in this competition, uh, we feel confident. I'm not sure how serious it's going to be, yeah. but we feel confident with the roster we have that we would do some good things well, and like l- let it right. lead and let it lead. Into the next year. Now, I'm not sure what the restrictions are. Even Ethan Vlahoff is back as well. So I'm not, I'm not sure what the restrictions are, but if we were to put together the team that's out there right now and at Caleb on BC and all those guys, uh, we, 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 we go from about, we could go anywhere from six, six to seven foot that easy oh, oh, so yeah. we, we could play a big lineup we have a we have we have a option to play in some different dimensions so but i just like to let those guys just play and see what
1: they do and they they like playing the style we play with well ben I
0: the, think
1: the team you on just uh right I was going to say the team you just run off. If you've got a uh, a Jackson at, at the point guard at six foot six, uh, a seven footer, a kid like Kyle Bowen, a shooter like Marshall Nelson, it, it's starting to sound very similar to the nineteen ninety team that uh, yeah. that ran yeah. the league. So that's that's exciting. Look, yeah. one of the things I know we've been chatting for a while now. But one of hearing you run off your list and and so on and so forth. I guess the question I want to ask you now is, how excited are you to be reunited with Mark Edmonds and? Are you looking forward to a, uh, to a road trip where, where Edo might end up with his uh, head out the window for- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Throwing up water, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Come on. At uh, least I'll let water come out of there. Yeah, no, uh, that, can you, can yeah, you confirm and I the story for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. i confirmed confirm the story. We went to what, it was the Albany. We came back, and he got crooked as a dog. Or it was, I'm not sure if it was Geraldton or not. The and the we Albany. had to pull the car to the side. We had to pull the car to the, to the van to the side every like 10 minutes so he can throw up saliva. I'm like, dude, he there's he nothing in there. <laughs> There's nothing in there. Come on, let's go. Get back in the van. Let's go. So we did that for probably five hours, and uh, we got back in town. I think we had to take him to the hospital.
1: But uh, yes, and did the doctor let you give give the injection to stop him throwing up? That's what I. Was <laughs> no, if I did, I'd have shot him in the butt with it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, Edo and I go way back, uh, way back to Redbacks days, and he was with me when we first played in his gym. He's like very close to me and we got a great working relationship and yeah her and with emily coming along with us too so we've been like a we wanted a female assistant coach so one day she can be a female head coach so we got we have a very
1: good we got a good rapport all three of us and uh we're just excited about being at the club i think that what you've just said then sums up um cj jackson in a in a nutshell the that- I spoke to someone in the preseason and they said, look at the team that Redbacks are putting together. Everybody loves playing for CJ. And I know I love playing for you. I love playing uh, alongside you. And it was that ability that you used to have to, you could give someone a serve, but then within two minutes, you've got your arm around them, telling them that they're going to do better. You believe in them, that, that you're in the fight with them, which is important. And I think Maybe that's that's what you took from your experience when a when a coach ripped your confidence away. The ability that, that you have to to instill that confidence in people and, and bring people together. I still think uh, a lot of the lessons that I learned getting our asses kicked week in week out and knowing that at five o'clock on a Tuesday night you'd be in my driveway in the, the magic mobile Cordia jump, in, we'd jump <laughs> let's, in. Give,
2: let's get back on it. Let's get back on the grind, brother. That's Let's get back it. on the ground. We go. We got something to accomplish.
1: Yep, and we just hit the road, and away we go. And and that's you know some of my fondest memories of um of those times. And then yeah, capping it off with a with a, a mini playoff run, if you will, um, was just sort of the cherry on top. Yeah, it was great time. And as I said, I still think there are
2: a lot of great times ahead for me uh, yep. with the with the league with some of these players. You know, I think one of the fulfilling things that for me. Because I'm probably one of the oldest coaches in the league was the fact that I've coached players that, like yourself, have gone on to do th- good things, been coaches themselves, right? So I think there's probably, I think as yourself, I mean, Craig Mansfield, I can say, Dockey, uh, you know, Matt Parsons, You know, there's a list of guys, p- players that play for me that are that became head coaches. Yep. There's a list of players that i play played with that I've coached now their kids at a SBL level. So it's been a mm. fantastic journey, and I'm glad I'm still being a part of it, and I'm glad to just help the community just grow, the, the WA community grow, and just be a formidable uh, coach, and I think people respect what I do. Most definitely.
0: Impossible not to, see Jay, and it's been a, a treat for us here on SBL around 2 take up so much of your time because it's been fascinating listening hopefully everyone has enjoyed it and i'm sure ben and i will both catch up with you soon but as far as our listeners go i'm sure everyone has appreciated you taking so much time for them and thanks for joining us
2: yeah i appreciate appreciate the talk thanks Thanks, DJ. all right you guys have a good night
0: thanks to CJ Jackson for that, that, that interview. And yeah, I mean, if you get a chance to listen to it once or twice or three times, I, I highly recommend it because he's one of those people that when he talks, you just want to sit there and, and listen and absorb it all. And yeah, it was it was a fantastic time for, for me to sit there and, and listen. And it's great for me to hear Ben, to hear you speak to people that have had had such an impact on you as well. So hopefully everybody out there really enjoyed it as well. And, and for you, I think one of the big benefits of doing this show is, being able to speak to people like that, but also to speak to them in a way where everyone else can benefit from your, your conversations rather than just being a one-on-one between the two of you.
1: And for me it's be able to find out those extra little bits of information. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew the I knew his journey through high school and, and junior college. Uh, Shasta College was in the same conferences that I was in when I went to junior college, not not mm. at the same time, but you know, knew Shasta and when told CJ we'd played Shasta he knew so we had that connection. But to hear him talk about, you know, spending time with Reggie Miller and, and Cheryl Miller and yeah. um then, then he goes on to bakersfield and you imagine cj is the most confident person in mm. the world and to see that he's gone through a stage as a player where he's had his confidence taken away from him mm. and again the, the lessons that he learned along his journey wasn't always he was six foot six and and a magic johnson clone he, he's gone mm. through those tough times and that really adds that layer of when he speaks to you and, and tells you what he wants you to do as a player when you know that you're inspired to to do what he says so um uh, yeah Lots and lots of time. One of my favorite human beings in the world, and yeah, I just think he's uh, he's been a big asset to this league.
0: Yeah, he just, he just got such a big heart as well. He's got time for everybody, and, and when I spoke to him earlier in the in the year, um, as we were preparing for the season, it wasn't long after Kobe Bryant's accident, and he had passed away, and, and he was just heartbroken. But you know, he, he because of what the Lakers meant to him and what Kobe Bryant meant to him, and and not long before that, he had taken a group of of, of students that he'd been coaching to the, to, to the Mumber Academy and, and then he'd come back home and obviously the tragedy had happened and he's, his heart was broken but he still had a big smile. He was still, you know, he's still the most friendly person in the, in the building and, and still had time, time for you. So, you know, a, a great pleasure for us to speak to him here on SBL Shootaround. But let's keep moving, Ben. Now we've been, the last couple of weeks we've been looking at how the clubs were shaping up for the 2020 season and now that we... Are close to officially knowing that we're going to have some sort of action, and we think it's going to be called the West Coast Classic, thinking about how the teams might still shape up for that, so let's get moving with the last of our five teams here this week, starting with the Perth Redbacks now we'd already spoken about them, and their team was looking looking really good that that c j had put together four the, t- the SBL season proper. So he had, he'd brought across Brian Carwell and his son, Tevin Jackson from the Perry Lakes Hawks. He had signed Caleb White from the Rockingham Flames and some handy other players there. Dennis Tuffett is one of them. Ezra DeCore is another one. And, you know, there's a handy list of players that he'd added. As well. But they lost Master Nelson, they lost Lee Roberts, Jaden Co- Coburn, who had been set to join you at, at East Perth. And then I think M- M- Major Garang, who had gone to the Goldfield Giants, was a, a decent loss for them as well. But to me, that looked like a pretty exciting team, one that could have been sort of contending for a top four spot. But all of a sudden, after speaking to CJ in the West Coast Classic, they they have to be considered the automatic favourites right now, given. They'll have Caleb White, they'll have Brian Carwell, and they'll have Marshall Nelson, and potentially they'll have Kyle Bowen on top of Joel Wagner and everybody else that's still there. That's an incredible group of players that he's got to got to work with.
1: Uh, I just want to clarify: has the SBL around just uh, dropped its first pike bomb, um, similar to the Woj bomb in uh, the ESPN podcast, as CJ had given us the scoop that uh, Marshall Nelson? And, uh, and um, Caleb White, you know, you add those two mm-hmm. with uh, a Tevin Jackson and, uh, and a Brian Carwell, that's yeah. your perimeter. And then uh, I've got one name here that I highlighted that makes the, um, Mark will be happy with this, the all-SBL name team in Bangma Jock. <laughs> um, I think that. that's uh if he's not dunking it, at least hopefully he wins the warm-ups. Um, yeah, that's but look, you know, a lot of, a lot of outs, uh, Lee Roberts is a, is a yeah. big time performer, but I think um, given the names that, that CJ listed and as you've seen the impact that CJ has, um, he's going to have a team of guys that want to play for him and, and want to be successful. And he's got a pedigree of being able to take teams that perhaps have under underachieved or were underachieving and, and, and lead them somewhere pretty special. So yeah, look, uh, for me, they might jump into the, that early season uh, favorite you know one first year together might hurt them they might not have that experience uh that ability to lean on each other in the tough times but if you look at this 10-week season as the precursor as he said to next year uh, it's that opportunity from the to play together give a few of those young kids a chance cj to get his get back into the groove and find his mojo as he said coaching again and uh yeah i would be looking for big things for him to happen uh, this year and even bigger things in 2021
0: yeah me too rocking and flames I assume Ryan Patrick will still be coaching them, even though he's now been appointed the Perth Lynx head coach in the WNBL. So massive congratulations to him. He's put in a, a power of work, firstly for the, the Flames women's team over seven years. And then I think he was really impressive with what he did for the men. Last year, even though they lost in the quarterfinals to Perry Lakes, I think they were a much better team than deserving of a of a first round exit. Interesting, probably similar talent level that he had to work with coming into this year. They lost Caleb White, obviously. Judy Powell had gone to and. Luke Travers was a huge loss as well. But um, Robert Heyer, as a as an import, I guess they would have been expecting him to deliver what you know. Caleb White had been delivering. Jackson Hussey still capable of playing some very good basketball. And and Travis Dernan coming up from Mandurah. I think, to me, he's capable of still being a real star in this league if he gets the right opportunity. I don't know if he would have got the amount of minutes that he would have needed to do that at Rockingham, but at least he was moving into a winning program after struggling a bit at Mandurah the year before, to me probably looking to be on a similar level to what they were to were last
1: year. Most definitely. And, and the biggest in there, I think, for them is, is Robert Heyer. He's a, uh, mm-hmm. a high-level player. He's, uh, he's excellent. We look very closely at him and had his G League schedule um, fitted a little bit better with the SBL schedule. We probably would have had him um, last year. Um, mm-hmm. he's, he came highly recommended uh, to me by uh, John Rilly uh, from his time at Boise State. Yeah, wow. Um could, could not recommend him high enough. He, he played very, very well in the Siebel. Um, he's a, a do-it-all, uh, knockdown shooter. He's, again, we spoke about CJ's versatility. He's, he would have been that sort of guy in the SBL. Probably would have run the point um, a lot for them. Play, play Rebounded and, and did a lot of the intangible things that Greg does, um, but a much, much better shooter and a, and a calmer head. An older, older player being around. Uh, but he's a very, very good player, and he would have probably been the the glue guy that this this team needed. Um, the you know the, the in of Hussey that gives them someone who can push the ball. Two big outs for me. Uh, one is Luke Travers, as we said, the mm.
2: you
1: know the superstar that he's going to be. But uh, I see a name there that's that's out for them, and that's Jared Griffin. And you talk about the heart and souls of different clubs. Yeah, cool. um, Jared Griffin is that guy, and not the biggest guy, not the most athletic. But he would always walk off the court and he would have taken two charges. He would have drawn three fouls. He would have got five offensive rebounds. That mm-hmm. that guy, what he brought to to um, to the Flames, I don't think can be replaced. Um, but, yeah, just a, a big-time, big-time heart and soul guy. So, But, yeah, look, the Flames are one of those clubs that's, that's hungry to taste success in the postseason. I think they're one of only four SBL clubs um, to have never won a grand final. Mm-hmm. Um, Albany, Mandra, Warwick – and flames i think are the four not to win an sbl title um so i know that they're off court they're doing some amazing things on the court they're, they're assistant they've been around the mark the last couple of years so they'd be really really pushing to have have success in that in that final series in the in the next couple of years i think given given what they're doing and and, and the people they're recruiting
0: to play down there i think Calamunda might be another one too who we'll chuck Calamunda in there that hasn't quite got there but you never know mark might pull Correct. out something pretty soon yeah no that's right southwest slammers Ma- massive signing to get mark worthington to, to coach your team he's a he's an all-time great of australian basketball so to, anytime you can have someone of his caliber coaching your your club you're going to be in a better place but again it's going to come down to the talent that you have to work with at the end of the day and i don't know if you would have had much more talent than what um john Triscari had to work with last year so they they lost lost their two imports to real carter and tyler livingston who were were handy. But without doubt, the biggest loss is Michael Lay. He, he's a, he, he's an absolute f- fantastic point guard still in in this league. Maybe in the shortened League, in the West Coast Classic, he might be able to be convinced to come back. So that might be something that I'm sure were those working on. But having a look at Jay Washington, their import point guard at the Blitz, he, to be honest, he looked like he was a downgrade on what Michael Lay was. So hopefully if he'd spent some more time here, He could have improved, and and unfortunately, I guess their second import looks like it was going to be Wade Guerin as well. Um, Aside from that, Damon Moore and Rivar Evans were a couple of other names they added, but I think the Slammers were going to struggle, and whatever season we still see, I think they might might still struggle.
1: I would have been more excited. Maybe mid-90s, early 2000s, if I saw Mark Worthington and James Fitch's names there. So <laughs> as we said, similar to Mandra, um, having that quality basketball knowledge on your sideline is only going to make your younger players better. So yep. hopefully they can have that influence and the players are willing to, to listen and learn. And as you alluded to there, the, the big loss there is Michael Lake, quality, mm. quality player and an even better human being. Um, wish him all the best in his in his endeavours um outside of basketball. But yeah, that's a that's a massive loss for the slammers.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. Hopefully he still comes back to play in this shortened season, yeah. Like like a Damien Damian Maddox, it might might actually suit him, so we'll wait and see. Um, because he's certainly still down in Bunbury. He's he's fallen for that curse that, that James Fitch told us about.
1: He's he's running for for local government, isn't he? Yeah, he I was.
0: Think. He was, yeah.
1: Yep. Oh.
0: There you go. Um Warwick Senators still coached by Mike Ellis, still have Cody Ellis as their star. I think the big, the big news for them is last year they played without a genuine point guard. Wani Swaka, Lobeluk um, did that job pretty well for them, but I still think come playoff time, the fact they didn't have a genuine point guard ended up hurting them. So they get Corbin Rowe back, which I think is a is a big thing. Edward, Edward Hart was their other import who I guess it, it would have been a wait-and-see approach to see what he, he added. But pretty much a similar team to what they had last year. You just re- replace Rob Ancelor with with Hart and then you add in Corbin Rowe. So I think they still would have been, been close to the mark.
1: Last week, we spoke to Mark about the importance of getting your imports right. And Mm -hmm. for for us, uh, the last couple of years, the Sterling sort of two through five have been very similar. uh, Easy to switch um, whoever was guarding Cody onto Caleb, onto Rob, onto Justin King. Like they they didn't have a lot of versatility. It can work in some instances, uh, but I think it kind of led to some mixed roles and not understanding who was supposed to be doing what at at different times. And I think um, when... Talk about my formula for success in the SBL. You get your point guard right, and you get your five man right, and you fill in the gaps in between. And Corbin Rose, a quality SBL point guard, uh, probably doesn't give the the outside shooting, Mm -hmm. but he can set teams up. He can play good defense, and um, Hart just looked like a hard worker, reminded me of a a John Vaudre type, which is in the right spot. um, Set good screens, knew his role, which would then free up Ellis King and Davis to to play their natural games in that sort of wing wing spot. So. Definitely, I think they've upgraded. Um, although Wani is a another up and coming star of, of our league, um, but as a as a team, um, they've upgraded. I think where they might fall down this year, though, is in that depth. Um, they tend to run out of gas in the in the playoff best of three series, simply because they they don't go deep into their rotations. Um, you know, six or seven deep isn't really going to cut it when you get you know, deep into the playoffs. So, but yeah, like what they've added, um, and think yeah, really opens up the the Ellis King Davis combo to to really mm-hmm. come into their own.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. They've they've been knocking on the door for so long. Um, It'd be nice for those people that have put in the years of hard work to to break through. Similar story with the Willards Tigers, Steve Black now. It's scary to think he's entering his fifth season as coach, given given, I still remember when, when his dad left for, for Malaysia and handed over. The reins to him must have been back in, what was it, 2014 or 15 now. But he's, yeah, Steve Black back coaching again. And he's added probably the man who I thought was unlucky not to be the league's MVP last year, Patrick Burke and Lewis Thomas back in the league as well, which is a, a great get. So all of a sudden they've gone from being a team that was, was probably hurt last year by being too small all of a sudden, having a very nice-looking front court, but perhaps their weakness now is in the backcourt, having having lost Jackson Hussey and having no obvious replacement as a as a point guard.
1: They've definitely upgraded on the the rebounding stakes. Um, yeah. Burke and and Lewis Thomas, you know, they'll they'll crash those boards ferociously for forty minutes um, in today's game. And given how the game's played, and how uh, you see teams like Lakeside, Sterling, Up. Um, even Kalamunda, uh, you know, that, that reliance or the ability for their bigs to step away from the basket. Does Burke and, and Thomas have the ability to, to guard those bigs on the perimeter? Um, to be seen. and definitely, um, uh, that, that, you know, if they can get that point guard spot or who they might have in, in line for that point guard spot, possibly we could see Damian Scott lead the league in scoring. You know, he's averaged that sort of, you know, mid twenties for a while, but given that there isn't uh, those extra running mates there or people taking the ball out of his hands, so uh, he'll definitely get, you know use of ball off the glass if um burke and thomas can can secure a defensive rebound and throw that outlet to, to halfway like he likes so yeah we'd look for a big year from him um and if they could add maybe that that quality point guard then they definitely again look to improve but yeah most likely finish around the same spot for me
0: yeah i, I think so too and- I think they were set to have Mo Barrow come back as, as that three-man, as a pretty versatile guy, but maybe not the dominant type player that they potentially could need. But, yeah, I still think they would have been more than competitive. And they have a new stadium to unveil. Uh, obviously, you've got a, a really rich history at the old Williston Basketball Stadium. It's still in the same spot. It's still the same building. It's just been renovated. Let's hope we all get to see it pretty soon.
1: Yeah, and um, hopefully they've recreated all the dead spots uh, on Court 1 <laughs> and put that onto the new Court 1 just uh, yeah. to give them those advantages. But... Looking forward to getting there and watching a game. and you know, um, It's great to see so many new facilities being built around the place.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, it's, it's the closest venue to me, and I were driving, was driving past it, seeing it being built, and I was so excited for March to see it open, and now all of a sudden it's probably going to be July or August at the absolute earliest I'll get to see it, but hopefully we get to see it soon. Now, we've had a look at all the, the teams now. Now, Ben, what we'll come back with next week is who we thought would have finished in the top eight, who we thought would have reached the grand final who we thought would have won the championship and potentially maybe who would have won some of the leading awards like the MVP and, and the like as well. So we'll come back with that next week. So if any of our listeners want to give us their thoughts as well, we'll certainly take that on board. And we'll also give our quick thoughts on, we'll, sh- we'll shelve the discussion until next week now about how, what differences the new, we'll call it the West Coast Classic, will make, what some of the guidelines are going to be for that and how, how big of a difference it will make for a team like, Like the Perth Redbacks who will have every single person available and potentially some of the clubs who won't have any imports available will lose some of their interstate recruits as well. So we'll talk more about that next week, Ben, but from the teams we looked at at least today, the Perth Redbacks are looking pretty exciting and it's going to be tough for us to come up with somebody to probably top them off next week.
1: I would look for the Redbacks to be definitely around the mark and, as we said before, those teams that have had that continuity and that longevity together, so wouldn't count out a Perry Lakes and a, and a Joondalup, um, and then someone like a, like a Warwick who have always been around there, perhaps haven't quite got that mix correct, look to have addressed those issues. So, yeah, look, that that's going to be an interesting chat for next week and we'd love to hear what others think about it as well.
0: Okay, last segment here on this week's SBL Shootaround, Ben. it been a massive show and it's about about to get a little bit bigger because we've got a very exciting announcement that you. I want to let you announce because we've got a competition that's now going to run over the next several weeks but it only makes sense that it looks like we've now had the last SBL season. So we want to go back through the last, the last 31 championship winners in the SBL and we'll include the last, I think it was it called the district competition back in 1988. Yeah, so we'll go through the winner of that as well. So we'll have 32 championship winning teams from we'll call it the sbl and we'll put them all in a battle against one another and and a month or so down the line we'll declare who who will be the greatest sbl championship team of all time but for me ben this is your your baby let 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 me hand it over to you to explain how it's all going to work
1: So last week when I was talking to Seva, we we had the conversation about which was the better of the two World Championship teams they played on. And that got me thinking about, wouldn't it be great to not just use statistics and analytics and say this team would win because they would get more points and more rebounds, but actually have that discussion. So I went back through and I I grabbed the, the 31 championship teams that have been in the history of SVL. And then I thought, would it be fitting to include the last of our previous competition which was the 1988 East Perth Eagles so then I ranked them from one to 32 and then I just started NCAA um, tournament style just going one versus 32 so on and so forth and suddenly these matchups started to come to fruition that but again you got a text message probably five minutes into it where I was that excited and then <laughs> texted a few other guys and, and then had Mark on the line and we were just going through and we had fathers playing sons. We had championship teams from one era playing cl- championship teams from another from the same club. And it just looked like it was just going to be this amazing competition. And as we started to fill in the rosters, all these names that we have been talking about suddenly that they might not have played against each other, but we could pit them against each other. So we've created the uh, the NCAA um, SBL tournament. And essentially, NCAA stands for no competitions allowed anywhere. Um, we'll start with our field of 32. We'll break it down to the Sweet 16 the elite eight, the final four and the eventual champions. And hopefully we do have an SVL season this year. Um, but it'll be the West Coast Classic. Um, but from this, we'll, we'll crown that, that overall, um, best team ever, uh, mm-hmm. best championship team and looking to generate that discussion, hopefully to get, you know, the fans involved and the, the people that are listening involved in giving us who they think would win a matchup and, and then why that's important as well. Why do you think someone would win? And was it a matchup that you saw or a style of play? Not so much that, you know, they, they averaged 113 points a game and this team only averaged 110 break it down for us tell us why you think and um that's what uh, again i sit here i've got the spreadsheet uh, spreadsheet open in front of me and it's got 15 columns and 32 rows and um <laughs> it's something that gets me excited about basketball uh, again a basketball tragic i'm sitting here on a on a thursday night going through you know, sbl rosters from from 1992 and trying to fill in the blanks. so um and hopefully it gets everyone else excited as well <laughs> let's get it
0: on we'll still work out the details on how it'll work exactly but thinking off the top of my head now i think what the best way to handle it will be is for. We'll run it over a number of weeks for the first round. I think each day we put up one match up on social media. So, say it'll be the 1989 Perth Redbacks against. What would that be? The 2000. And uh, 89 Redbacks versus
1: 2018 yeah. Perry Lakes Hawks
0: yeah so, so. Th- that, that can be a matchup and we'll put it on social media we'll let you know who is playing on each team and obviously yourself Ben and Mark and you know whether we want to have somebody else as a third voting member that they can be and then our fans our listeners can put through their votes and their votes will actually count towards who advances to the next round as well so if that sounds like that's a good definitely. way to do it then that's, I reckon that's, that's go, let's go about it that way
1: I like that. That sounds great.
0: Mm-hmm. We'll give you more information next week. But, gee, that's it's a hell of a good way to go back through, through the journey of the amazing teams that have won SBL championships. But it's also in an era where, like, like the name says, we have no competition to watch right now. It's a good way to get the competition juices flowing as well. So I'm really excited for it. I know you are, Ben. I know Mark is it as well and i'm really excited about the show that we put together this week. CJ Jackson was a hell of an interview. I could listen to it over and over again and and i'm sure i will and hopefully all of our listeners feel the same. We finished off our discussion about the how the the final five teams were looking for SBL 20 and how they are looking for the West Coast Classic. We i mean it feels like a lifetime ago now, but we also talked about the the top Australian players that came out to play in the SBL for a short stint. So that was a fascinating discussion as well. We we had all sorts of things covered this week, Ben, and it's been, been a lot of fun here to do SBL around with you. We look forward to keeping it going. And now, as I sign off for another week, I'm Chris Pike. What can you leave us with, Ben Etridge?
1: I think for me, um, this has been a, a great experience so far these last four weeks, catching up and, and talking to people and, and sharing a love of the game. And, It's easy to get lost in what we're seeing on the TV at the moment and there's lots of stuff out there and lots of things that we're perhaps confronting to people and things that we don't like to see and don't like to talk about and growing up, you know, people like CJ Jackson and uh, James Fitch and Jeff Anderson—they are my heroes. And I know there's a, a lot of um, stigma attached at the moment, and and there's a lot of things happening around the world. And I think we've just got to um, use this time to communicate, use this time to support each other, have those conversations that might be a little bit tough, and and continue to support each other and and be there for those people that we need because you know we're we're all going through it together. It is tough, but if we're if we're going to come through everything that's going on in in 2020 tougher and better, then um we need to do it together and i think that's probably the biggest message that um, i sit here and and think about more than anything is yeah we're going to be all right because it's definitely not the end so we'll we'll get through it um but we've got to support each other we've got to talk to each other and we've got to continue that communication and make sure everyone feels appreciated and make sure that everyone feels loved um that might sound a little bit corny um, but when you've had someone like CJ you know, in your life for such a long time, and understand what it's like for him to put his arm around your shoulder, and and for him to literally tell you that he loves you and he's going to get you through it, and no matter what's going on, it's not the worst thing in your world. When that's your role model, you're not looking at him as a as an African American man. You're looking at him as as a father figure. I've been very fortunate to have you know both white father figures and, and African American father figures in my life, and you know I, I take lessons from from everywhere. It probably taught me to be more compassionate over this time, um, and more forgiving, um, and under understanding um, of what maybe they've gone through in their early life and um, I cannot comprehend um, what it would be like for them at the moment but all I can do is be there and and support them and and help them as much as I can and and let them know that um, I love them like fathers and I love them like brothers and um, if they ever need anything from me I'm only too willing to help so um, I don't mean to end the show on a uh, on a serious note um, but I just sort of feel like you know given everything that's going on in the world at the moment uh, we just need to make sure that we're all supporting each other and and giving each other the respect that we truly deserve.